Hey, before we jump into the show, I wanted to give you a heads up that my free YouTube strategy class is available right now on demand at thinkmasterclass.com. On the class, I reveal the one YouTube strategy we use at Think Media to generate over 330,000 views every single day. So if you're new to YouTube, this will help you start right and avoid mistakes. And if you're a YouTube pro, this training will help you multiply your growth. This class is 100% free and you can watch it now on demand at thinkmasterclass.com. Now, let's jump into today's show. Your reader needs to instantly understand what the book's about and whether or not it's for them. So if you've got two years to write a book, it's going to take two years to write a book. If you give yourself a 30-day deadline, it's going to take you 30 days to get that rough draft done. You know, for 99% of people, it makes more sense to self-publish. The only time it potentially makes sense to traditionally publish is if you've got a massive audience and you can get a big advance. Your first book is probably not going to be your best book. It starts with this concept. I call it the four P's of a best-selling book. What are your thoughts on the use of AI like ChatGPT in the writing industry? If you're thinking about writing and launching a book or launching your next book and you want to generate more sales, more impact and get more readers, then this is the podcast episode for you. Today, we're going to be talking about tips for how to title your book so it gets attention and sales. What's the best way to set your book up for success? Is AI going to ruin the publishing industry? And can we leverage AI to help us as authors get our books out there? How do you write content that actually keeps readers engaged and makes them happy? How do you overcome procrastination to get your book done? What are your tips for marketing? Should I go traditional? Should I go self-publishing? And ultimately, what are some smart hacks for getting your book done faster and even repurposing content you've already created into a book? We're covering a lot of topics. This is actually based on um, threads. I put out a threads post and got a lot of feedback of some of our community's questions and our guest today is Chandler Bolt. He's a multiple best-selling author of multiple books, investor, Forbes 30 under 30, and founder and CEO at selfpublishing.com. Chandler, welcome back to the Think Media Podcast. Sean, great to be back. Super fired up to have you on the show. And um, if people could check out in the show notes, the link to our last conversation. Um, and so that was very powerful. But I figured today we would just cover a wide-ranging conversation of... Uh, a lot of the things our community asked. And then today's episode is brought to you by startyourbook.live. That's actually a free on-demand class that Chandler and I recorded that'll help you go even deeper. So if you are ready to learn a little bit more about this and learn about how to even generate six figures from your book um, in the next year and a lot of other cool things, check out startyourbook.live. But let's just dive right into it. And so the Jurgis asked um, when I did this poll, should I go for a base hit or a grand slam on my mm. first book? Mm. Oh man, that's a tough one. I mean, I think uh, for a lot of people, it's going to be base hit, right? You're going to think you're going for a grand slam, but if you're, going, if you're trying to go for a grand slam, you're probably going to be disappointed. <laughs> your first book is probably not going to be your best book, right? And that's the cool thing about learning how to write a book is it's kind of like learning how to ride a bike is you can do it again and again and again and again. And so I would say base hit, use it to, 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 to notch a win and have something that consistently brings in income and lead sales and referrals for your business. That's amazing. Okay. And then uh, Mark asked, what is the best way to start a book that will be successful in the long run? You know, uh, there's a couple key things here. I would say it starts with this concept. I call it the four P's of a best-selling book. And so really defining that. And so it's person, pain, promise, price. 
And uh, you now there's a lot of marketing stuff that we can talk about, and I'm sure we will talk about, but really making sure that you're nailing, hey, who are you writing this book to? And think of someone that you actually know in your life. And then secondly, um, what's the pain that they have that they know that they have, right? And then what's the promise that you're making through this book? Those are really the three most important things to make sure that you really nail. And we can talk, I mean, there's there's eight milestones to publishing a book successfully and there's all that stuff, but but nailing that first and, and who are you talking to? Why do they care? And what's the promise that you're making? Um, that will really help set you up for success so that you write a great book that people actually want to buy and that solves their problem. I mean, look no further, YouTube secrets. <laughs> I mean, we talked about this on the Self-Publishing School podcast. It's like, holy crap, man, you sold. I, I, I think at the when we did our interview years ago, it was like 65,000 copies that you had sold. This was even before the second edition, but I'm sure it was similar for you of like, hey, what are the questions that people keep asking me about scaling YouTube stuff? And what's the process that I would teach? So you've got person, Who's your avatar probably for the for the business? You got the pain that they know that they have, and then you got the promise that you make through the book. So I'd say watch what Sean did. I love that. And and out of curiosity, what does the fourth P price mean? Yeah. So it's just what you're pricing the book at. So okay. this this is you know pretty standard brackets, and I kind of use this this same framework because. Uh, so it's a little bit less applicable in the book front, but it's still important is or whether you're pricing your ebook, your print, your audiobook, et cetera. But I use the same framework on how to create a like a, a high converting offer is the same thing. Like what's the person paying that they have the promise and the price that the price to value ratio for how you price that and how you sell that. And the cool thing is when you use that same framework for your book, as you do for the, the higher ticket thing that you're selling from the book, well, then they're aligned. And so naturally people go from the book to that thing. Gotcha. So another question came in on what are your thoughts on use the use of AI like chat GPT in the writing industry? What's the opportunity? What is the enemy? Is it yeah. both good and bad? Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity and and uh, some some risk there. Like, I mean, I think the the not so great side is just like crappy homogenous books that are just regurgitated AI stuff that don't have originality or flavor or all that stuff. And so we're not like actively encouraging a lot of our authors to use it to ghostwrite a whole book. Um, but I will say there's a lot of really great. Uh, use cases for it. Like we've created a book title generator um, that you, you know, you fill out a few questions and it helps prompt uh, a good book titles, like really good book. It's crazy good. Um, we, we created a writing enhancer, um, which is, okay, put in your, your words here and then, and then kind of you select a drop down. Am I wanting to proofread this or am I wanting to enhance this or am I wanting to, you know, reword this? And then, and then the AI basically improves that, uh, that writing. And so like, those are a couple use cases that can also be used for like book descriptions and copy and the back matter. And that, so a bunch of that. So I feel like there's a lot of really great use cases. We're using some mid journey to help create images for covers. Like there's all kinds of stuff that you can use to, uh, you know, you can use it to help create an outline that you then write to the outline. So there's just so many different ways that you can use it to help create a better book. Um, and, and that's how we're using it um, currently. And, and uh, so, yeah, that's what I would say on that. Is Amazon flagging certain people if they can tell it's AI or is there anything like that happening? 
Great question. Not yet. Not that we can see at least. And I think a lot of these companies are taking a wait and see. Like we obviously do a lot of SEO and content marketing and all that stuff. And even that, like this is kind of off, off subject a little bit from books, but it's written content and it's a, it's a big part of our business. And we've taken a pretty conservative approach. And we've said, hey, we're going to keep paying writers to write posts, even though we could probably write a lot of stuff through AI. Because right now, Google's all for it because they're losing the AI race, <laughs> right? And so it's like, oh, we love AI. We have Bard. We, you know, it's just, and, but at any point, if Google says, ah, this is ruining our search experience, then they will obviously de-index that stuff and potentially slap everyone in the wake of that, like with another Google slap. And so I think a lot of these companies, Amazon included, are taking kind of a, a, a wait and see approach. I, I think a, an interesting summary of maybe how my mindset on AI would be is that taking shortcuts in life is generally a bad decision. <laughs> yeah. But taking smart cuts, there was a book by Shane Snow called Smart Cuts. So the leveraging of AI layered on top of learning the real mastery, working with the real experts you know, layering it on top of doing the real work, but like using tools to support mm -hmm. the real work is a great approach. Taking maybe the idea that this could be a, a lazy uh, path to overnight riches. Of course, some people probably get lucky or they're just move fast and and print a 10,000 chat GPT ebooks and publishing on Amazon and have some case study about it. But totally nothing better long-term than, than actually really building true mastery. So another question came in and I, the nuances of these were so amazing. And if anybody wants to follow me on threads, you know, we're out here trying to figure out where social media is going next, but, uh, at Sean Cannell, did you get on threads yet? Chandler? I'm not yet. I, yeah. I'm like the least earlier, early adopter ever. <laughs> at the time of recording this episode, it's going to come out quite some time later, but literally we're like 72 hours. I actually posted a joke too on my social media um, about my ebook, I stole the title from John Acuff, um, how to monetize threads like a boss. And so I said, pre-order um, starts tomorrow. I've invested, <laughs> I've invested three years and 10,000 hours into this project. And uh, my mom texts me and she said, you're writing a book? You didn't even tell me. I was like, it was a joke. Mom, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Like, I mean, you, that would make sense. The cover's like super cheesy. Um, cause of course someone's going to be a threads expert and, uh, but whatever, who cares? So and you're gonna get chat GPT to write the book and you use mid journey to create the book cover. <laughs> That's right. And, and launch my threads, uh, course, uh, the day thread starts. But one of the questions that came in on this, uh, thread was I read a lot of business books, but what I've noticed is that a lot of times they take one idea and they stretch it out too far. How can authors avoid the mistake to make sure the book is filled with substantive content and that is that isn't just inflated to 180 pages but that is worth reading the whole thing. Yeah, that's a really great question and cuz I completely agree the world doesn't need more long boring business books that just repeat themselves for 170 or 270 pages. So what I would recommend is, you know, we have I've realized most people are listening to this. Um but if if you are seeing this, you can see there's kind of like eight milestones that we talk about to go from blank page to published or your first 10,000 copies sold, right? Um and the eight milestones, the first four is called the more writing method. And the more writing me method is an acronym and it stands for mind map outline, rough draft, editing. 
right? And so what I recommend that people do is they, they create a mind map on everything they know about this topic, right? So you've just defined your four P's, person, pain, promise, right? Price. Um, and and you, so you've defined those. And then now you mind map everything you think of on that topic. You use that mind map to create an outline. We, you, you mentioned at the top of this, start your book dot live, register for that training. I break down this whole process. You'll leave that training with an actual, at least start of a mind map on your book, right? And so then you, then you mind map and then you use that mind map to create an outline. And then that outline makes sure that you have a cohesive kind of path that you're walking down and you're not just repeating yourself or stretching the idea. And then I take it kind of a step further when I'm writing the rough draft. So my map outline, rough draft and editing. This is kind of in that piece where let's say, you know, your average book is going to be about 30 to 60,000 words, maybe a little bit longer than that. I'll try to write past that word count if I can, and then tell my editor to just ruthlessly cut anything that doesn't add value. So it's like, all right, I want to write past that word count and cut and I want to just trim, 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 and make sure that, all right, whatever is is in there is is truly only the stuff that's adding value. That's brilliant right there, especially because your book is so personal. So you fall in love with all the content, all the words, you think it's all essential, but then by trusting a third party editor that's fighting for the reader and more objective and allowing them to painfully cut so yeah. that it ends up with the best product for the end user becomes a, a win-win. Um, and this is a nuanced question about where books maybe could be going. You know, when they asked the books inflated, the idea is maybe it could have just been shorter. I know that sometimes there's sort of a, a standard thought that if it's not a certain length, it's not substantive. But two case studies and people I know you're uh, are friends with, one is John Gordon. I find him very interesting that he's so prolific, but a lot of his books are very short. Yes. Um, and that's been his style maybe before the modern era. Like he's been doing that for mm-hmm. a while. But I was in um, Nashville uh, hanging out with Ken Coleman at Entree Leadership. And we were just kind of, we, we were able to chill on the side a little bit. He was talking about some of his new books. And um, of course, at Ramsey, they publish all kinds of books. And but he was saying, we're seeing things shift. And I'm realizing like, if I've got a framework, if I've got something that I want to get across, um, it doesn't need, in his mind, it was like, I, I think that it could be a lot shorter. And that's actually the next book he's working on is um, not going to be your traditional 180 or 270, like you said, but a little bit more like a John Gordon type of a book. What are your thoughts on that pros, cons, and maybe yeah. the opportunity of shorter attention spans or just giving people value and maybe the mindset of like, people wouldn't want to pay for that. But if you could still get me the result. Yeah. And I also get a big, I, the reason I love John Gordon's book is because I'll sit down, I'll be like, I finished a book, you know? Yeah. Like, and, 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 and it actually is kind of a good reward. Uh, psycho, you know, I still learned something, mm-hmm. took something away, but I'm not discouraged mm-hmm. that I have all these unfinished books. So Thoughts on the shorter book. I I mean, that's where my career started. My first book that I wrote was, I want to say it was like maybe 14,000 words, which is tiny. Um, It was a book on productivity for entrepreneurs who struggle with work-life balance. So we just leaned into that and like, hey, you're you're buying a book on productivity. (laughs) Guess what? You probably don't have time. So we made this book short on purpose, right? And so that's kind of where I started. And I think, I really think things are trending that way. Um, because it's, it, it, you know, it needs to be short, punchy to the point. And so it, to, to your point, you know, I've got a bun- bunch of books on my, uh, to read list and a couple of them that have bubbled up to the top. This John Maxwell book 
It's super short. It's small. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'm always looking to to brush up on leadership, 25 ways to win with people. Like, all right, I'm, I'm going to read this. It's whatever it is to, you know, 170 pages. But I mean, that's being generous. It's big text. It's a small book. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, cool. I, I want in... You know, the other one I've got on the other side is called Legacy of Leaders. It's like a 40-day devotional. So it's like, all right, I'll chip away at this daily. It'll be a kind of a daily refresher. And so I would invite people to say, hey, what, do you, what is your preference? Are you leaning towards shorter books? Okay, then pro- if you're like your reader, then they probably are as well. Uh, and I had a I had a, a guy one time teaching about copywriting. I think it's applicable to books. You know, people might not love the analogy, whatever. I didn't make it up. He, he made it up and so I'll blame him. But he said, you know, it should be like a woman's skirt. It's, it's long enough to cover the essentials, but short enough to keep it interesting. <laughs> and so uh, short books um, for a lot of people are, are a lot more interesting. Yeah, that's, that's some great t- and encouraging too, that um, you can make a massive impact. There's so many case studies of very successful books that don't have to be very long, which could mean you could get it to market maybe even sooner. And, um, a question that I know so many of us wrestle with, even if we're been doing this for a while, how do you stay focused during writing and avoid procrastination so you don't stretch out the writing of your book way too long or just never get hmm. it done? Yeah, I mean, this is an age old thing. There's a couple kind of uh, words of wisdom that I love here. Uh, one is, you know, you can tell when a writer's working on a book and on a deadline, because that's when they're on social media, <laughs> right? Are really doing anything besides writing their book. And I love this this quote, Stephen Pressfield on the podcast and came and spoke at our event. And, you know, in his book, The War of Art, um, he talks about uh, Somerset Magnum, I think it is, who, who he was asked, hey, do you write on a schedule or do you kind of write when inspiration strikes? And he said, well, of course I just write when inspiration strikes. Unfortunately for me, it strikes every morning at 9am <laughs> and just like kind of a tongue in cheek saying, Hey, you, you got to do the work and there's going to be that resistance that's going to come up. And so what I recommend is, okay, obviously use the more writing method because that's going to make the writing process easier. Uh, but then within that, uh, you know, we have what's called the, it's the 30 day rough draft challenge. It's kind of modeled a little bit after 75 hard of just saying, Hey, if you can just do two 30 minute writing sessions a day and don't break the streak for 30 days straight, there's a decent chance that you're going to write 500, a thousand words a day. That's about 30,000 words. That's a book, right? And Parkinson's law applies here, you know, and, and Parkinson's law says an object will swell in proportion to the container that you give it. Right. And so if you've got two years to write a book, it's going to take two years to write a book. If you give yourself a 30 day deadline, it's going to take you 30 days to get that rough draft done. And so those would be my, my tips on staying focused and writing a better book faster. Another very common pain point is this question of, do we need to have a big social media following? Is that going to be essential to actually having success, having some kind of audience? Absolutely not. Uh, a lot of our folks don't have big social media followings. Um, I certainly didn't when I launched my first book. I was 19 years old. I had no no audience, no following. And you know, I'm as old school as they get in the, on social media. I mean, I have a Facebook account. And that's it. <laughs> uh, you know, we were joking. I'm not the early adopter. I'm not even like the everyone else has it. You're an idiot. Why are you not on this? I'm, I'm not even that guy, I guess. Um, but but I, I think social media, it's 
it's helpful. Don't get me wrong. Like if you have it and you're there and you're active, great. That's amazing. But you certainly don't have to do it to launch your book um, successfully. And so what I would, what I would say for folks is, is there's this concept of a launch team. It's a small group of people who support you and your book. It could be 15 people. It could be 50 people. Um, they buy the book and leave a review on day one. If you just do one thing, um, use that concept of a launch team. I talk about this concept in my book published. We also I unpack it on uh, the live masterclass. Um, and, and so double click on that concept, especially if you don't have an audience. And if you just do one thing to market your book, uh, use a launch team. Use a launch team. Let's talk about self-publishing versus traditional. Many people have questions about that and it's always changing and you're the expert. So what are the pros and cons? Um, what does it take? Yeah, break it down. If you're looking to get your first thousand subscribers or make your first $1,000 on YouTube, then join our free YouTube challenge that many other small creators have joined and seen tons of success. During this free challenge, Sean is gonna share some of the best strategies for growing to your first 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, as well as making your first $1,000. Just go to tubemonkeychallenge.com or check the link down in the description. Yeah, so you know, it used to be that you know, the only way that you sold books was to be in bookstores, right? The only way that you, you could be in bookstores was to have a publishing deal. Only way to have a publishing deal was to have an agent and, 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 right? There's all kind of these gatekeepers. Uh, well, now, you know, Amazon and other online retailers have really democratized uh, the publishing industry. And where, you know, I think the stat is about 70% of all books sold are sold on Amazon and other online retailers, Right, and you don't need a publisher to publish on those platforms. So distribution used to be the bottleneck. Now it's largely irrelevant, uh, and so that's just really—it's it, really transformed the publishing industry to where self-publishing, like it used to be, the backup plan. It was like the thing that you did if you couldn't get a publishing deal, and now it's the preferred option for most authors because they know that they're going to make more money if they self-publish. Right, unless you're getting a massive advance, because there's the other trade-offs of okay. If you traditionally publish, they're going to take the lion's share of the royalties. You might make eight to twelve percent versus self-publishing. You're making twenty to seventy percent, right? So there's a big difference in royalties. There's a big difference in how long that it takes, and there's a big difference in how much how much it costs to go through uh, the process. So you know, for ninety nine percent of people, it makes more sense to self-publish. The only time it potentially makes sense to traditionally publish is if you've got a massive audience and you can get a big advance. And even then, sometimes it doesn't make sense, right? Because if you know you're going to sell books, well, you'll keep more of the royalties by, by self-publishing. And it, it parallels, like my brother's in the music industry um, with a band called Need to Breathe. And so, you know, he, he's in the music industry, I'm the, in the book industry. And even some, in some ways, the movie industry is kind of becoming this way as well, where there's a movement towards independent. Um, and whether it's record labels or publishing uh, companies or, 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 you know, like movie houses or that sort of thing. Like it's, it's just really moving to, all right, who's going to sell these books or these songs or these movies and, and the power is moving towards who's moving sales. That's very fascinating. And, you know, I find it interesting. Um, Alex Ramosi is going to be dropping his new book. Uh, by the time people hear this, it's probably already out a hundred million dollar leads self-published. Um, also because of time delay. He's, you know, he's like, it's done. And if I want, I want to get it in people's hands, otherwise it'd be a year until I could get it in people's hands. Um, so he's self published. 
Another interesting story is Hugh Howey. I actually read a fiction book by Hugh Howey called Wool and the Silo series. Fast forward to today, and um, it's an Apple TV Plus show. And um, I've been following him ever sci-fi book ever. It's I think that Ebert said it was the number one sci-fi show of the year. It's crushing. He's flush. He was flush already from the self-published sales, but um, obviously with the royalties and it was turned into a, a show, it'll probably go multiple seasons. But I saw a post from him, I believe on Facebook where he they were, uh, his book re-ranked, of course, because of that promotion in the top 100 Amazon books, maybe as high as 13 or something on the entire platform. And he was saying, um, so many people told me not to self-publish and they said it would ruin my career and it would on all this stuff. And he's like, man, ain't, thinking about all that too, he retained rights to everything. So it wasn't fiction, traditional publish, a show comes in or somebody wanted to bring in that media later. It was, he is the complete IP owner and Apple TV, you know, what do you think about that? that story and and with your authors whether fiction or nonfiction, as you know the founder of selfpublishing.com i mean um it's a pretty cool story what are your thoughts yeah it's interesting as you were talking about that i was looking it up um hermosi's book and i'm like hold up I, I, and from what i can tell he self-published his first book he did too. Um, yeah both. it's so interesting even looking for that like amazon has removed one of the like the one little piece that said who published it is removed from what I'm seeing. And this is the first time that I've ever seen this. So it's like, it used to be like something that like only nerds like me would know where to look yeah. and be like, who was the publisher? And now I can't even find it. Um, and so that just goes to show how it doesn't, it, it's more and more of a non-factor. Uh, but I think it's interesting. You mentioned the fiction side of things. Like we've got a whole fiction side of the company and a whole fiction or children's book side of the company too. Uh, it, for most fiction authors, it's just, there's no choice. Like you're never going to get a, a, a publishing deal for your fiction book. Like you got to prove that you have an audience and that you can write great books. And a lot of that means self-publishing yourself. And, and this is actually kind of a fun full circle from the very beginning of the first question. I think it was, was home run or base hits. And I always use that analogy between fiction and nonfiction because nonfiction, you are significantly more likely to hit a base hit. Singles, doubles, maybe a triple, right? But then the dichotomy is that all of the most successful and highest grossing books on Amazon pretty much are fiction. Mm. Uh, and so fiction is very much like swinging for the fences and it's a much higher probability that you're going to strike out. But if you do well, you do crazy well. <laughs> I mean, crazy well. Uh, there's erotica books and there's, you know, young adult and fantasy and all that stuff like that just go. I mean, absolutely nuts. And and if you look at the top 100 books on Amazon, I would I've, we've done this before. I don't know, like right now, what they are, but uh, I mean, I would venture to guess that at least 80 or 90 of them are fiction books. And so it, that that's kind of how it applies. And you're probably going to have to self-publish, especially if you're a first-time fiction author. Brad asks, build an audience on topic through social media and then write a book or write a book as a way to gain authority to grow your influence and audience. If you're approaching it, you're starting from scratch right now. Maybe you have a nine to five. You've had this dream. I want to start my yep. online brand. I want to, mm -hmm. I want to package what I know. I've, I've done something. I've, I've raised some kids. Um, I've got that proprietary process or a way of doing things. I, I have a certain yeah. way I study the Bible. Um, build a platform, work on social media first, write the book first. What do you say? 
I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I, I, I could just say what worked for me, which was doing the book first. And we always say that it's, you know, for people who are familiar with Chronicles of Narnia, you know, they discover this door that opens up to this world that they didn't know existed. Right. And that's what happened for me. And this is what happens for a lot of our authors is a book is a key that opens this door to kind of this world that only exists for published authors. And so the book opens, it builds, it credentializes you. It starts to build an audience because you're not some random person talking about a random thing. It's you're the author of so-and-so. So now it's like, oh yeah, I'll bring you on my podcast or, oh yeah, you could come into on this TV show or on, and like PR, digital, local, all that stuff starts to really open up and, and the book starts to build the audience. Um, I mean, you can see uh, Hermosi is an example. Like obviously he's been a prolific content creator, but pretty early on published that book. And that book is often the first thing that people get where they're like, oh, got it. I freaking love this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, you know, that was the same for me, um, I guess on a, on a lesser scale, but with my first book, it built an email list of like 4,000 people within the first few months. And they, they bought the book, they opted into the thing. And now it's like, oh, shoot, I've got an email list and nothing to sell to these people <laughs> versus most people the other way around. They've got a product to sell with no email list. So I go book first and then use the book to build the audience. Brad continued and he gave some context. And I'd love to you to speak some, to some things about monetization because he actually said then, you know, I want to write about things that I'm passionate about, faith fatherhood and family, not the things I do to make income. I've seen a lot of people in our community that sometimes have the mindset of, I want to talk about faith. I'm really passionate about fatherhood. I want to speak to other men. Um, but man, I mean, I can't monetize that. It's That's not teaching how to code or that's not teaching how to make money on YouTube or build a business. Is there a way to monetize family? Faith sounds kind of funny to monetize faith, but these topics, like what are the ways to to turn those things, your passion into income? I think there's a couple, there's like two or three things I would say here. Like one is go back to the four P's, right? And is for that person, is there a pain that they have that they, that they want to solve that they're willing to pay to solve? And can you make a promise where you can solve that pain for them? Right. And if that's compelling, um, and then and you're adding re- real value, then that's worth charging for, and that's worth pay- them paying for, right? And I know it feels weird. I'm a Christian as well, and it, it you know it can feel weird like mixing mixing faith and finances. Um, but you know, and 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 we we talk about this. We got a uh, we do some trainings on like how to write faith based books and stuff like that. And in there, I use the example of of the Good Samaritan. And what happened? Like everyone knows the story, right? He finds a guy on the road, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn. And what does he do? He says, here's some money, take care of him. And when I come back, if this is not enough, I'll give you more. Well, he would not have able to been able to do that to do good if he didn't have money, <laughs> right? He, he would show up and say, hey, please take care of this guy. They say, you know, unless they were just being nice. No, like we're a for-profit business, like we offer rooms and you can pay for those rooms. And so he had made money. And so I view money and faith and all it, it, it's a, it's a, a, a unit of providing value and it's not a bad thing. They don't have to be mutually exclusive where, okay, I can either, and we have a lot of faith-based authors and a lot of people or, or just who care about making an impact. And like, I, I've got to do this or this, either I can make an impact or I can earn money. And 
I think that, that, that those don't have to be mutually exclusive. And a lot of times it's the wrong frame where it, you, you can do both. And so what I would maybe encourage here is, are there elements of the business side of things that you can be, bring a faith-based grounding to the business thing that you do? And that's going to target a very specific audience where you're still providing real value, but you're embedding the elements of faith in that. And so it's a win-win. You're able to create a profit and an impact all at the same time, which I think is, you know, not to just hop up on my soapbox and just, you know, give a, give a whole talk on this, but I think is really what business is. It's the greatest vehicle in that exists for doing good. You're able to change the lives of your customers while also changing the lives of everyone on your team. So all of your employees while also creating a profit that you can then use to change your family, future generations, to donate to a lot of nonprofits. Like, you know, probably much like you, Sean, I've donated hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to churches and charities from the profits of my business, <laughs> right? And so it's just this, this win, 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 win. Where, but it, that all starts with creating value enough that someone's willing to pay for it. And it's not a nonprofit, right? The, not that, the, 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 there's nonprofits. That's, that's great. That's their mechanism, but nonprofits usually aren't as effective and efficient um, at creating the impact that a for-profit business can. That was uh, some inspiration and really grateful for that breakdown. And we would, of course, agree that uh, we're really living in an era, especially with having that book and consolidating your knowledge and building out a framework or building out your approach to things. It's also a really good way to launch out into YouTube. We encourage people, of course, you can start from scratch on YouTube. You can do things like affiliate marketing. You could do videos like uh, my top five leadership books of all time and have affiliate links to those. You haven't written a book yet. But man, once you have something to sell, we always say your income is directly correlated to the amount of buy buttons on your website. And uh, that could just be an audiobook, ebook, and physical book. And then the scale that could come later, like you write that book on faith or prayer, you write that book on fatherhood, you write that book on family, and you've got that buy button, that ability to sell and some ways to productize around that. And obviously, we can't get into all of those. You talk about more of those on uh, the class and all of that. But nevertheless, um, there is uh, so many different ways that, of course, you can add value. And we're totally aligned in the fact that business isn't just a good idea. It's a God idea. We see that throughout scripture. We see so many business people in scripture. We see, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, but we see we see women in business and women entrepreneurs as the primary funders of Jesus' ministry. Um, we see the patriarchs. Abraham was a businessman. We see that his family and generation were business people. We see that even Jesus' tomb was donated by a wealthy businessman and influential person, Joseph of Arimathea. And so, um, man, if this doesn't get you fired up to write your book, to, to package what you know, to launch your social media as well, um, then I don't know what will, um, next question that came in was for my first book, would it be better to go ebook or better to go straight to print? Yeah. Good question. And I, I, and I do want to, I mean, I just want to give a come on now to what you were just saying. I'm like over here nodding and amen. And, um, but I'm on mute. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I, you know, I recommend, uh, starting ebook first for most people, it's the simplest, fastest path and then layering on a, a print version, and then ultimately an audiobook. 
and kind of in that order, because that's the order of complexity that it's going to take um, to publish the book. Uh, and then also the benefit when you do it that way is you're able to have multiple launches, right? It, you kind of can, can treat each one like it's separate launch. You launch the ebook, you launch print, you launch audio. Uh, and so I recommend launching in all formats. It's one of the simplest ways to sell more copies because people have different preferences, right? And if you don't have a book in their preference, they just won't buy your book. And you know, some people might never read your book, but they would listen to your book, right? This is one of the things I remember from our last conversation on, on my podcast is uh, I, I, I want to say it was about 50% of your book sales, at least at that time, were audiobooks. And audiobooks were a big driver for you. And then that that embeds into the podcast and that embeds into YouTube and stuff like that and driving to the audiobook. Because if they're already listening to your podcast, they're already uh, you know, watching your YouTube videos, like they they like audio-based content. So they are probably more likely to kind of that's that's not a far bridge to say I'm gonna purchase the audiobook. So that would be my recommendation there. I've written a crafting book, Lovebird Heartwork Works asks. Uh, but marketing seems like a completely different beast. You mentioned the launch teams, street teams, and uh, you can go to startyourbook.live and even get more on that. Uh, and that'll all be linked up in the show notes because we won't be able to cover everything here. But I would love to frame the question this way. You know, on the Fig Media podcast, many people are just starting. And the good news is perhaps it's like, actually, maybe I want to package what I want to know in a book first or I'm working on getting my first 1,000 subscribers, awesome. But many people are at that mid and even sometimes advanced journey. So they have some following. Let's answer from the question, like they've got some social media somewhere. Maybe they've launched a video podcast. Maybe they've got um, a YouTube channel. There are many new people here who don't know the importance of an email list, but those who are real think media podcasters understand that you want to move people off social media and build your email list. We'll link up some uh, resources in the show notes of past episodes on that topic. So let's just assume you got a little bit of momentum. What are some of the best or even best ways to enter, invest your energy in marketing? If you only had to pick a couple, mm. what, what are some of the, because I know uh, one of our mutual friends too, Rory Vaden, talks about book marketing and, and there's probably 565 different things you could do. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes as much energy as you have, you try to do all of them. But for the for the time-starved entrepreneur that's looking for the most leverage, um, where would you point their attention? Maybe assuming they've got a little bit of influence, a little bit of following here, maybe just a personal fan page or Facebook page. But I know you're, what's funny about your Facebook post is you're also such a good writer is like, you just drop something and it's like 565 likes and tons of engagement in the comments. I'm like, Chandler's really compounded his influence. All he has is his friend page on Facebook. <laughs> like, if he does a post, it like he... And so, I mean, there, yeah, it, no matter what, you got your personal Facebook page. Yeah. What are some just practical marketing tips for those that like they've written the book or they want to write the book, but they're kind of afraid of marketing. They don't love marketing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, great question. And I would say, you know, if you're listening to this, if you haven't yet register for that training, startyourbook.live. Um, I break down the marketing in that piece. And there's a story that I think will speak specifically to this person about how I didn't like marketing. And there's a funny story in there. So, so watch it. And I think you'll relate to that because I think it's part mindset and I think it's part mechanics right? And so if you don't have the mindset to, hey, I love marketing, 
and learning to love marketing, well, then anything I teach mechanically is just going to, you're not going to do it, right? And so I think first it's recognizing that whether you're self-published or traditionally published, it's your job as the author to sell the book. If you build it, they will not come. You have to tell them about it. And I think if you've created something that you feel like can positively impact and change people's lives in the form of a book, it's your moral obligation to do everything that you can in your power um, that's legal and ethical and moral to get them to buy the book. Right. Because if they don't buy the book, they can't read the book. And if they don't read the book, they can't have their life changed by the book. So it's amazing to me that people will spend so much time writing a great book and then, all right, the book's out. (laughs) And then they're on, they drop it like it's hot and move on to the next thing. Right. And so it's the mindset of marketing. Then it's what I call the one year launch, which is committing to marketing your book for one year. Saying, all right, I'm going to keep talking about this book. I'm going to go on podcasts. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the book. I'm going to promote the book. I'm going to give the book away in person. I'm going to bring it everywhere I go. I'm going to put it in my backpack when I go on a trip or go to the airport or whatever. I mean, you've seen me post about this, taking dumb pictures in the airport with putting my book in the library or the airport bookstore, uh, and then taking a picture and then posting it. And, uh, same thing of like your mom being like, Hey, you posted, uh, I, I t- told everyone it was a joke. And then, uh, and then people are commenting like, congrats. That's so amazing. And I see people, they're like, oh, you're asking your books, your books in airports. That's incredible. (laughs) But so it's, it's that one year commitment to marketing your book. Uh, and, and then lastly, it's what I call the launch triangle, which is it's a launch team. So we already talked about that. Talk about that more on the training, right? Then it's getting reviews. So as many reviews as possible, one review at a time. And then it's uh, doing promotions. And the promotions is kind of an accordion based on how much time, money, and energy you have to put into this book. But, um, you know, whether it's podcasts, whether it's, you know, virtual book tour, like a podcast tour, um, there's a bunch of different promotions that you could do. But really, that's the that's the mindset. That's the mechanics. If you just do one thing, do the launch team. Couple more questions. Final two is um, title tips. Man, what makes a great title? You've got some tools inside of uh, your resources and how you help authors and aspiring authors. But if we, without tapping into even those tools, what are maybe some of the mistakes people make with titles? What are some of the, your favorite titles that are maybe out there? Just lessons you've learned on writing a great book title. That's a great question. Yeah, it's. I'd say one of the biggest mistakes people make is they try to be clever, not clear. Mm. And they go into book title land <laughs> and it's clever, but no one understands what the book's about, right? And except you, and it's some niche reference that means something to you, but doesn't mean anything to the target audience. And so the, the, be clear, not clever. That's the main thing that I would say. I've got a whole chapter in my book on creating a great title, but a good book title, it, it, it needs to, your, your reader needs to instantly understand what the, what the book's about and whether or not it's for them. Right. So that's the main thing. So it needs to be uh, clear and you're, you're, you know, like I'll use my book as an example, right? The title is published. Uh, the, the subtitle is the proven path from blank page to 10,000 copies sold pretty clear what the book's about. Right. And so you want, you know, your prospect or potential reader, you want to, you want them to just instantly say, Hey, yes, that's for me or no, that's not for me. Right. And I think, you know, you did a great job and and your book as well. YouTube secrets, the ultimate guide to growing your following and making money as a video influencer. I instantly understand, 
hey, that book is either for me or it's not for me. And so that's the framework. We have this thing on our site um, on selfpublishing.com. It's, it's called a book title generator. That's the AI thing that I was talking about earlier. It's pretty nuts. You answer a couple of questions and it spits out uh, a, a title and it, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, I don't want to overhype it, but like it's come up with some really cool stuff. So that's a helpful read. That's totally free. People can use it. Cool. So we'll definitely uh, link up a bunch of things in the show notes. I have one really powerful final question to ask you, um, but a few things. One, uh, of course, we'll link up in the show notes, uh, Chandler's book published. Certainly you could grab it on Amazon, but if you actually, uh, I think you could get a free copy if you uh, uh, jump on the class, uh, a digital copy at startyourbook.live. And you can watch that class on demand and it's um, we obviously couldn't cover everything and Chandler breaks a lot of step-by-step tactical things. You have an hour additional content. And so if you really are kind of pumped and you're serious about wanting to at least explore this more or look what it could be like to get, build some momentum on your book, we'll link that up in the show notes or you can type in that URL, startyourbook.live, not .com, but .live. Um, and that'll take you to that free class. Chandler's book, title generator, if you want to check that out. Our previous episode, as well as uh, some of the other things we mentioned, including building an email list and stuff. So this is definitely one of those episodes to um, engage with the show notes so you could take your learnings before you get busy with your day or whatever else you're doing. Definitely engage with some of the content and take some of those next steps so that you could get some momentum around launching, writing, starting your book. But Chandler, I love this question that came in and it was about the potential of either remarketing, republishing, or recycling your older content or your books. What are some of the opportunities if somebody has a hundred podcasts, 200 Mm. YouTube videos, they've been blogging for a while and they're, they're trying to like reinvent the wheel. Is there some Mm -hmm. opportunity to clean up some of that stuff and, um, get that, into a great book sooner because of maybe recycling and repurposing content in a strategic way. No doubt. I mean, if you've already created an online course or even a video series, you've written a book, you just didn't know it yet. Right. And, and the way that you created that course, like this is what I did with an early version of my book is I said, all right, Hey, we've got this whole process. Like let's take the, let's zoom out a little bit. And, and I I know we share this because I remembered you also shared this on the podcast interview that we did is you said, Hey, strategy is not tactics. Like how do I make this timeless and how do I teach frameworks? So even on something as specific as YouTube, where it'd be very easy to just go into the algorithm and all the stuff and screenshots. And then six months later, the book's outdated, right? You, you didn't do that, which I think is really smart. And so uh, that that's what I would say here as well, as you say, all right, take the frameworks that you've already created and your course and your videos, or maybe the most popular things that you've created and then go 10,000, 30,000 foot view. So you still use the more writing method, mind map and outline, but then that outline, then you can say, oh, cool, here's this chapter. Like, it's funny as we're talking, like some of the chapters in my book is like self-publishing versus traditional publishing. Okay, I've got a video on that. Okay, that's gonna be this chapter. All right, how do you create a book title? Got some training on that. That'll be a starting. Okay, how do you create a book cover? How do you mind map? How do you outline? How do you launch a book? Like, and so now you've already probably done the hard work of creating videos around that. And that can be the starting point. And so instead of starting with the dreaded blank page, you know, you got the blinking cursor of death that's just taunting you. Uh, you've got something on the page. And so 
I'd say, you, you know, you're a lot further along in this process than you think if you've already got those things. Brilliant. Chandler Bolt, so much value in this episode and you are a wealth of knowledge and you and your team, selfpublishing.com, absolutely legendary. So I want to make sure that people, if they want to take a next step, uh, the next move would definitely be to check out the free class that we hosted together at startyourbook.live. You can watch that on demand um, and check out the show notes. But finally, if people want to follow you on your one social media platform or check out anything else you're doing, what uh, where can people connect with you? Yeah, so definitely check out uh, the class we did together uh, at startyourbook.live. As Sean mentioned, you also get a free digital copy of my book when you register for that. I'm on Facebook, that's it. Uh, and if you want to chat with the team about working with us, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash apply. So if you're serious about working on your book, um, you want to chat with the team, bounce some ideas off and say, hey, how can I start to create a plan? Um, book a call with the team. We'd be happy to chat uh, and hope to see you on the training. Hey, before we jump into the show, I just wanted to take a second and say thank you for listening. I know that life is busy and you have a lot of options when it comes to the content you consume. So whether you're new here or you've been listening to the Think Media podcast for years, I just want to say thank you and I appreciate you. Okay, let's jump into the show.